Hello, my fine friends. Thank you for choosing my podcast to listen to. We're powered by ACAS Plus. You can join uh, ACAS Plus if you want to get lots of bonuses. Google Rahalastapa and ACAS Plus and you'll get right there. There's lots of fun stuff to get. Um, Rahalastapa tour is nearly over. 21st of March, I'm at Bedford Corn Exchange. I'm talking to Olaf Falafel, who's a very funny children's author and stand-up comedian, and Al Murray, the pub landlord and historian man. And a friend of mine, uh, it should be fantastic, who went to Bedford, went to school in Bedford. It should be amazing. There's plenty of tickets left for that one. Uh, Glasgow on the 27th and Hull on the 28th. They're both sold out, but do keep checking the sites for returns. And uh, occasionally we put some comps back on sale, so there may be a chance to buy tickets. The main thing, though, is that I am going to be on tour doing stand-up, and I would love you to come. Uh, it's uh, from... It starts officially in May, but so uh, there's a few tryouts in April and March. So I'm at the Bill Murray. I'm at um, various places, Luton Hat Factory and uh, the Berry Hedge End. I don't even know where that is before going into a big tour where I'm going all over the place. It's selling in various degrees. Glasgow sold out. They've added an extra date. Uh, Chorley sold out, joined the waiting list. Uh, but a lot of the others have plenty of tickets. So... Do go and come to see that. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour for all those tour dates. RichardHerring.com slash Rahalastapa for the remaining Rahalastapa dates. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to take a little break from doing Rahalastapas. It'll be nice. We've got loads in the bank. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying them. I think there's some very high quality ones from this tour. Uh, so do keep listening. Do keep telling your friends. RichardHerring.com for all your Richard Herring needs. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another Rahalastapa. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who is not going to the Edinburgh Fringe this year. It's Richard Harry. Thank you, my fine friends. Hello. Yeah, much better than last week's audience. Hooray. Welcome to, <laughs> welcome to Richard Haynes' Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Uh, I was uh, talking to Christopher Walken uh, the other day about being in Walken in Bristol. Walken in Bristol. Good, wouldn't it? It'd be better if it was Memphis, but, you know, can't have everything. He calls it Wib. Um, and he... He calls this Rallastabas. I don't know if that's gonna catch. Don't know if that's gonna catch on. Um, very exciting uh, getting to the theatre today. We got stuck in a trap. I drove with my wife, uh, Catherine Wilkins from Drunk Women Solving Crime, uh, and uh, we got stuck. We got make a good time. Then we got stuck in traffic, and I made a 
I made a decision to, to go off the road and see if we could find a tube to drive down to. And I said, we'll never find somewhere to park by the tube. It was in North London. And we got there and there was a little car parked by the tube. And it was, no, one, no one was parked in it. It's changed my life. <laughs> we got parked out on North London, got a tube down. I don't want to tell you where it is because <laughs> you'll, all, you'll all park there. We'll see, but it, it remains to be seen whether we get home tonight in one piece. We will see. Uh, and, yeah, I've, I've just... Uh, I, I did I make the decision this week that I'd made it already not to uh, go to Edinburgh this year, 2023, uh, having gone in 2022. And it's all got a bit expensive, hasn't it? Have you, you find, you're finding this as punters? It's too much to, uh, to go. I just... It feels, uh, it feels wrong. So I'm going to try and uh, do some podcasts from home. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. <laughs> And charge myself £10,000 to stay in my own house. £10,000 up straight away. Chicka-ching. So do, hopefully there'll still be some Edinburgh Fringe uh, podcasts, but I think it's, it just feels it shouldn't be a, a festival for, that only the rich can attend. Boo. But also, it just made me feel mentally ill being there. So <laughs> it's mainly because of that. The Scotsman today said, Rich Herring boycotts Edinburgh Fringe. I'm, I'm just not going. You're allowed to go, if you want to. Uh, right, look, we're going to crack straight on. We've got a fantastic guest this week. She is, of course, best known for her appearance on the 50 Funniest Moments of 2014. <laughs> and we all remember those 50 moments. That must have been a hell of a job to choose. And out of all the moments in 2014, every moment had to be looked at everywhere in the world. They selected the best 50. Will you please welcome the incredible Fern Brady, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. 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 How, how are you doing? Oh, good. Good. I'm uh, quite tired. Uh, yeah. Oh, You're shit. always tired. Oh. <laughs> I can never say that again because they somehow found footage of every time I said, oh, I wasn't doing that as a gimmick there. No, I but I am tired. Yeah. I had to go and sign like 4,000 copies of my book today over and over again yeah. in a warehouse. So um, hopefully I'm going to be okay for this. Yeah, it's all right. I usually fall asleep in the second one. So we can have, oh. a, we can have a little... I'm oh, sorry, the first one. I meant to apologise to you as well. Okay. Because... The last time I saw you was at that Taskmaster party. Yeah. And the day, I just, oh, this is relevant to the book that I'm here to promote. I just went around the, I went around that party just offending one comedian <laughs> after another and saying the worst possible thing. So you arrived and I was like, whoa, I don't remember you being tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast, you were like six foot two. I was, in my I, mind. was I was, I was, I've, I've shrunk a lot. So, you were the first one I yeah. did it to, and then you looked sad. And then I sort of turned, and uh, Liza Tarbuck was there, and she was like, Darling, hello. And I said, Hey, you were famous in my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> By the way, I wasn't drinking. Like, I don't need to drink for these things to happen. Um, and I was telling my boyfriend about it the next morning, and I was like, I think I made a real mess at that Taskmaster party last night. And uh, he said, normally when you tell me about these things, they're not as bad as you imagine, no. but this one is as bad. No, as <laughs> I, I actually found it quite funny and charming. Oh, and, and, okay. and the book explains everything anyway. 
Yeah. But, but this is this is your, the charm of you and, and why you're a fabulous comedian mm-hmm. is because you say what you see <laughs> in a very honest way. You're very honest. Well, I was thinking some like posh comedians go to like uh, that golly school to try and learn what comes to me naturally, <laughs> which is just say the first thing that comes into your head, even if it's a terrible thing to say. Sometimes I'd say to myself before I go out of the house, you're going to meet this person no matter what. Do not bring this sensitive topic up to them. <laughs> and then that seems to make it worse, and I do yeah. it. <sighs> you know, I've been known to say the wrong thing sometimes. Have you? Yeah, sometimes. No. Uh, but, you know, I found it very charming. And I think having read uh, the book, which is fabulous, coming out very soon, it's, yeah. called, uh, it's called... I'm going to tell you what it's called, but I've got so many things written down that I've got confused about what it's called. Do you want me to tell you? Tell me what it's called. Oh, it's called... It's called Strong Female Character. It is called Strong. I've got, like, I've got it circled there, then I suddenly... I suddenly lost... <laughs> co- I lost confidence in that being the title. Yeah. Uh, it's called Strong Female Character. Yeah. Uh, and it's... What I like is... It's... What are you just laughing at? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what they're laughing at. My... My appalling uh, interview technique, I think. Oh. Um... Is I mean no, it's it's a terrific book. It's really and it's it's pro- maybe a bit more serious than people might be anticipating. Oh yeah, I, I think people think I've wrote a comedy <laughs> book because comedians sometimes write memoirs that are like, oh, then I was born tea, <laughs> and it's like written. Do you know what I mean? Like written in a really silly way. Yeah. Whereas uh, my book is very serious. And it's going to take me into my Radio Four era. I hope <laughs> because. If you have a silly voice, there's only so far that can take you. So I realised I'm a lot more fluent when I communicate in writing, so I've got to write this book. Um, Also, do you remember the last time I did your podcast, I was like, oh, Richard, I've wrote this um, this script for the BBC about being a stripper, and they're about to make it. They never made it, and that was partly how I ended up writing this book, because I was like, I bet it'll be fucking quicker for me to write a book then sell the book as a TV series than to continue developing this with unnamed production company. <laughs> Did I just name them a minute ago because I'm tired? No, you didn't. No. Oh, well, the BBC. Um, <laughs> but I used to think, Richard Herring must think I'm this mad liar that I told him my script was getting made. They told me my script was getting made and then they did an about turn and yeah. changed it and I just got sick of it and wrote yeah. a book. I, you know, I may have some experience of that happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, one of the, like, the most pointless. It's such like a waste of creative energy and I just had this sense that I was going to die soon. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> but I just thought I've wasted like five years uh, doing script development and I could just make a different thing. It is very frustrating. And you are, you're a, you're a fantastic writer. I, oh, I, I think straight in with this book, the first chapter, again, a lot of people would have sort of pussyfooted around and done exactly say, going, here's where I was born and this is the story and this is how mm-hmm. I gradually came to realise there was something different about me. Mm-hmm. But it's straight in with the sort of diagnosis and it's kind of thrilling, I think, that as it starts. The book itself is... Uh, there's some bleakness in there, and there's uh, some sort of. It's a very on, you know. It's a with publishing as with uh, all most media. It's a it's a very middle class and now increasingly upper class uh, profession. You know, there's the, everyone who works in it uh, has a sort of similar experience and background. So I love it when someone 
writes uh, a book from another perspective, and this is definitely this. Well, that was the thing. So um, I got diagnosed autistic, but they I knew before that. Like, it was pretty <laughs> obvious before that. Because um, I've had people coming up at gigs and telling me, and I was like, oh, no, I just I can't be bothered getting the certificate for it or whatever. <laughs> And then I got diagnosed and I started reading loads of books about uh, women who'd been diagnosed late in life. And there's a lot of really good books out there, but they all come from very middle class, very sort of sheltered women that have had quite, um, quite quiet, uneventful lives, which is great, which is what you want. Uh, but my life was pretty much uh, relentlessly chaotic from about um, 15 till, well, right up until I started doing stand-up. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, well, I've got loads to write about here because I went to school in a mental unit. Uh, then my parents kicked me out and then um, I was a stripper for a bit. And uh, then there's other stuff that I genuinely can't legally say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so quite, quite a lot happened. And I thought um, all of these things can be linked... I can use these things to talk about autism because my boyfriend's always saying to me, like, Fern, people are about as interested in autism as they are alopecia, which is to say they're not that interested in it. So I thought, if I get all this mad, sexy stuff that happened to me in my life, I can use it to educate people about autism, like do a sort of tabloid approach to teaching people about autism. Here's some boobs in a strip club. Now here's some facts about unemployment with autistic people. But it's all, but all of it, the, the whole story is, is fascinating. And I think it does make sense of... It'll make sense of a lot of people you might know in your life. You know, I think, that, I think it's great that people are, are talking more openly about this kind of thing. But to actually mm. have it explained and to, and to explain how difficult it is if you have autism to understand other, you know, social cues mm. and to understand jokes even. I mean, that's sort of quite of interesting. You, you take everything... Literally, really literally, and yeah. you don't you can't, can't appreciate when someone's lying. So, so there's a story about about uh, aliens visiting that you believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, when I was at school, um, my best friend at school told me um, we were in assembly, and she was like, "Oh yeah, my um, my brother's getting counselling at the moment." And I was like, "Why?" And she went, "Well, you have to after you get abducted by aliens." <laughs> and I was like. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and that was when I was, like, 14 or 15. Yeah. <laughs> and my mum was like, you, how are you still believing this horse shit that people tell you at school? So people just would make stuff up to me all the time. But, I mean, that still happens in adulthood. Or um, a good example of... So I'm used to explaining my autism as a thing that makes other people uncomfortable rather than talking about what the internal experience of autism is like. Yeah. So, for example, when I met you at that party, um, I said a blunt thing to you that, w that was just, like, the first thing that came out of my mouth. But while all that's going on, like, just now, there's these really bright lights, and that's really distracting, and, um, like, there's... I've got too much perfume on tonight, and that's distracting on a sensory level. So all these different sensory things are going on, and because you're under pressure and you're trying to hide it from everyone, you end up just saying, God, Richard, you look like you're four foot ten. <laughs> and you don't even know it's coming out your mouth because yeah. you're so overwhelmed from all the noise and the lights and the temperature. So I wanted to talk about autism in that way, and I can't do that in stand-up because stand-up's about reducing things down and... Yeah. Um, sort of using stereotypes that people understand. Yeah. So I don't really like talking about autism and stand-up. No, well, I think writing a book was, was really the right thing to do. And it is, you know, because it, it is explaining 
Well, you know, but even just even if it was a memoir of of being a working class person being born in Bathgate and growing mm. up and becoming a uh, comedian, that's that would still be quite an unusual viewpoint to get. So most, and you know, I am as guilty of this as anyone. Most memoirs, comedians' memoirs, come from middle class people who've cut, who've had a certain degree, or upper class people who've had a certain degree of safety in their life and comfort in their life. And this is, yeah. you know, and and I think people, the publishing industry, and as with most media. Uh, you know, you talk about a little bit in, in, in the book about people telling you what strip clubs are like, even though you've worked in a strip club, you know, a TV producer telling you oh God, this, yeah. wouldn't ha- this wouldn't happen, and you're going, well, you know... It oh, the whole time we were developing the script about the strip club, because stripping was like, obviously there's downsides to it, like your family disown you and stuff, and, like, it radicalises you against men for the rest of your life. There's downsides to it, but there was so many upsides to it as well. Like, people always view... So before I was a stripper, I always viewed it as, like, sexy, filled with sex and sexy ladies that know how to be fancy or whatever. And then you work in a Scottish strip club and you're like, why has this never been represented on television before? This is ridiculous. The strip club I worked in, no one ever came into it. The only two regulars we had was a guy uh, with a brain injury who would take you for a lap dance on your first shift as a sort of initiation thing. Then he would never take you ever again. And like, like I say in the book, most people on their first week of a new job, you get taken to like Weatherspoons or All Bar One, whereas <laughs> our version of the initiation was like dancing for a guy with a brain injury, just looking at you blankly. <laughs> so we'd sit watching the, the telly with him, and then there was also um, it was basically just like uh, disabled guys coming in, and we were keeping them company. So you'd just be sitting there in your PVC nurse's costume watching documentaries on Channel Five. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Oh, by the way, I've been putting... To try and, like, sell pre-orders of the book on Instagram, I've been putting up pages here and there, also just to prove to people that I'm, like, literate. Um, (laughs) And I put up a page from the book on Instagram that was about when I worked in this strip club in Edinburgh, and straight away, one of my old colleagues got in touch, and she went, do you remember these two regulars that used to come in? One of them's just been arrested for shagging a dog. So it's nice to know (laughs) that this face... (laughs) <laughs> was the one thing stopping men <laughs> from committing bestiality. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're, you know, you're right. There's a lot of... I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, of prejudice uh, against working-class people, against, mm. you know... And you, talk, you talk about this, about... about uh, uh, Scottishness means certain things to people oh, in the media. Oh, God, yeah. I hate being Scottish now. Because <laughs> it, it just has this... It means that if you want to go on TV, you have to do it on people's... You have to do it on Scottish terms. And, like, I don't care about being Scottish. Like, I didn't do Burns Night last week. Really, my identity is a lot more about being Irish Catholic, which I talk about a lot in the yeah. book, where I'm from. Everything is so defined by whether you're Catholic or Protestant. Uh, so then it was weird when I moved down here and started getting auditions for stuff and they want you to frame Scottishness in this weird way, like yeah. frame yourself as this sort of idiot that eats deep-fried Mars bars. And I'm like, <laughs> my family was really cultured and they were working class, but they were interested in culture and books and music. So, yeah. yeah, I had a hard time going along with that and I think that's why it's... No, I don't get panel shows and stuff. Yeah, but you know, maybe that doesn't 
matter. <laughs> and uh, well, but that was why I liked Taskmaster. They yeah. never referred to it at all. No. Um, no, well, Taskmaster is is a sort of is a is a very different beast than than a lot of the things on TV. But I think that you know, if you this book, you're 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 a very intelligent person. It's very well cheers. written. But you grew up as a. I mean, you were. The, there's a very funny story about you being uh, sort of pegged into the genius class when you first <laughs> arrived at school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my so so a lot of autistic girls um, they don't get diagnosed because uh, their teachers just think they're clever, and then any weird little things that they do, that's just them being eccentric and clever. So I did a lot of odd things when um, from early on that was like really obviously autistic stuff. Like I didn't want to be friends with anyone in the playground. I was best friends with a tree. Um, I had. I ha- my mum has, like, drawings of me, like, patting the tree, uh, say- talking to it and stuff. Like, I just wasn't interested in other children. Uh, but the school thought that it meant um, I was a genius, and they put me into this, like, child's genius class that was two years above the class I was meant to be in. And on my first day, they asked me the difference between a vowel and a consonant, and I just shat myself in my seat. <laughs> And then after that, it was back in, uh, back in with the plebs. And my parents never really got over that. They were always, like, saying, you're supposed to be clever. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. There was another time they, they were going on about how clever I was, and then they said, I just picked up a big... In Scotland, you used to get buckets of jam. <laughs> if there's any Scottish people in, can you back me up on this? Because it sounds mad. Uh, I got the bucket of jam at the breakfast table and I just tipped it over my head. And my parents were like, why is she doing things like that? So I do a lot of that in silence and yet wasn't diagnosed autistic. (laughs) But if there's any autistics in the audience, I don't want you to think I'm saying that's an autistic trait, is putting jam on your head. Oh, I'm making a balls of this. Listen, they gave me media training last week. um, But... At the publishers, uh, and I tried to listen back to a recording before I came here, but it's, the recording's not working, so that's why I'm coming out with all this. It's Fuck. it's all it's very good, and you be you because uh, that's the, you know the, that's what I think is is important about this book, and, and there's a lot of things that are important about it. I think I'd really recommend it because it is you know it's an important way to understand a bit about autism. I think people will identify with elements of that because there there are elements that everyone has of. So, of social awkwardness and or you know of, of making mistakes and and but it, but there's so much more to it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of and the the violence of it you know the 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 episodes you have where you're smashing your own kitchen up because you're frustrated or yeah you know, that or was over, how I got over, overstimulated yeah that was how I got well, that was the worst bit to write about when I was writing that I was like this is really gonna stop me from ever getting to host this morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the way I got diagnosed was I was having uh, meltdowns because I was working really hard to um, cover my autistic traits when I was out and about at work. So, like, I hate hugging people, but if you don't hug TV producers, then they won't book you for stuff. Um, Or, like, a lot of the time people want to, like, kiss you on the cheeks at work meetings, and I'd sort of flinch. So I started covering up all the things I was uncomfortable with. And then I was like, I don't know why, as soon as I get home from meetings, I just start punching a cupboard. Uh, <laughs> and then when I got diagnosed, I found out that those two things were linked and I had to stop um, masking my autistic traits to 
but otherwise I would have a very stressful life. There was another thing I was going to say to you. Yeah. As you were talking there. Oh, God, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, yeah. So, I don't want any... Like, because a lot of you are like, well, what's this have to do with me? I'm not autistic. I'm not interested in this at all. I did also write it just for anyone interested in communication or being socially awkward. I'm pretty obsessed with outsiders. So, pretty much, like, all the way through the book... You've got settings where outsiders are, like when I was in the mental unit, then when I was in the strip club, and then comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the best place for being around other mentally ill people. Um, well, it's interesting that you know that, that it's that it was it's difficult to do other jobs for for all these reasons. But the, mm. but then when you discover when you found comedy, not only mm. did it feel right for you and amazing for you, but mm. you you are like amongst your people. It's why I love being a comedian because it is. You know, there, there's a lot of a lot of different types of people, but there, there's something about comedians where we we all kind of understand each other in general, I think, and recognise each other, and it's a it's a safe space to have. I mean, it's ideal for a comedian because because a, a yeah. comedian has to be observing the world and be honest about the world, and and that's what you're able to do. Yeah, is, is to yeah. really spot where things are. You know things that make you angry, things that make you upset, things that are just stupid. You 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 can just say you say you just say what you see. That's the thing. People treat honesty like it's a magic trick, and uh, I, I think in England as well, um, because a lot of people I know that um, aren't from England and come and live here say this: like English people communicate in a very indirect way. Um, and that can be confusing if you like to be direct with people because yep. it then means your directness is taken as rudeness over and over again. So that's not even an autistic thing. That's <laughs> just like something that happens from living here. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been really interested in communicating as effectively as possible. Like I did journalism before I went into comedy. And when we, went, when we were getting trained up for that, they used to teach us how to write really boring news stories to appeal to a sun reader. Uh, and that was a really good skill to have going into comedy because sometimes you want to communicate quite a complex thing uh, in the form of a joke. As I'm saying that, I'm just thinking of like all oh, the dumb jokes I've done about cum and like, <laughs> boobs and stuff. And that's what I do in my comedy. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I've always been interested in how to communicate really clearly and effectively. So then it's weird to get told that you're the one with disordered communication. Because there's a lot of pathologizing of autism, and I don't think it should be seen that way. I think it should just be seen in quite a, quite neutral terms. Yeah, but it, and I think it. But reading it, well, a because you know, as a comedian, because all comedians are worried now about or, or coming out as ADHD or whatever they're coming out oh, as, yeah, and you know, ADHD. you think. Yeah. I, I mean, it's something like two comedians a week get diagnosed ADHD. <laughs> And whenever I tweet about autism, guaranteed 20 ADHD people are going <laughs> to pop up like lemmings <laughs> or something. It's, you know, it's good that everyone's talking about hey, their yeah, sorry, it's great. <laughs> I just, I just, we're not the same. <laughs> it's not the same, you know, and, and, reading, and reading the book, as much as I can be obsessive about things or, you know, as much as, I, you know, I think I understand social cues and I think, you know, I think I can't, you know, I think you all identify, but it does make you think, oh, that person that I met that said such and such, mm. were they autistic, you know, were, uh, were, you know, or were they just a cunt? Uh, it's, mm. You do say some people are I, just cunts, so it's not... It's well, not, it's I not, remember, not yeah, uh, yeah, people... Well, no, 
People tend to use, uh, oh, they're a bit on the spectrum as a way of saying they're a bit of a cunt. Uh, and I would love that not to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be good too. But, you know, it does make... It make I think it, the more people who can... In the past, we didn't talk about this sort of stuff, you know, at, at all. So I think it is, as much as it is almost becoming a, a, a joke that every comedian has discovered they've got ADHD, it's, it is good that people feel they can talk about the differences because it doesn't matter if it's a condition or if it's, if it's just who they are. Let's let's talk about it. But I think I think by by writing this book, um, you know, it does. It, I, I think both in terms of class about the thing, the point you make about class are really important. But I think equally, uh, you know, the, the, to uh, to understand what you're going through, and it's you know, there's it's it's not pleasant reading a lot of it, and it's you you know you empathise. And you're very open about things you've done in terms of like uh, having fights and and mm. hurting people. And there's a oh, sort of dear. there's sort of a tragic uh, story about you as a young person having a threesome with some strangers, which is oh, which is. Uh, but then again, it's you know it's more about them than it is about you. Well, yeah, that was uh, that was. Well, it was only when I was writing the book because I'd done stand up about I had a uh, well. Is that, how do I even say that? I, it was only when I was writing the book I thought those people were sort of a, not pedos but not far off. Yeah. Um, and basically, a lot of autistic young women are really vulnerable to like grooming or or uh, all sorts of exploitation. And there was just a thing in the news the other week where a young autistic girl got groomed by a far right. Nazi group, right. um, and like you see stories like this all the time. So I wanted, basically, when I was researching autism, I realised that every chaotic event in my life could be linked up um, uh, by my autism diagnosis. But I didn't see as many stories like that, and I think that does come from the fact that publishing is dominated by middle class people publishing yeah. middle class stories. There's a lot more chaotic autistic people than not. Like, we're something like nine times more likely to attempt suicide than the general population. Um, we're also... Um, oh, there's just so, so, so many things. Like, more vulnerable to being homeless, excluded by our family, uh, drug and alcohol addiction. So I didn't know why I kept reading all these books about very quiet, sheltered, autistic women realising that that was what was up with them. Yeah. No, but that's, that's important. I think also... You know, just explaining as a as a, a working class young person, you know the the financial decisions you have to make and and why and why you you went into stripping as well. Part is is oh, yeah. as much a financial decision that you're forced into, yeah, uh, as as anything else. So it's uh, they they should. I mean, no one has a gun to my head, Richard. No, uh, <laughs> well, no but, you're, but you're sort of so open to everything that it's you know that that's explained by the thing. But it, you know that that should be a you know they they should be making that sitcom. <laughs> oh well, so the book's not come out yet, but there's no. a load of people wanting to buy it and oh, make good. it in a yeah, TV yeah. show, good. which is weird because I only I I kind of just motivated myself through the writing by being like, I'll show you, we're going to get this book made <laughs> in a bloody TV show. Um, but no, it has it's had a really yeah. uh, cool response already. Yeah, but yeah, um, it's just it's just great. You know, if, if it wasn't about autism at all, I think just to hear that to hear a, a, a working class person and hear their voice, see how, you know, clever and uh, against the stereotypes that your life is, mm. as well as, as well. It's, it's a brilliant book. I hope people will, will, uh, will buy it. 
um, and uh, enjoy it as much as I did. I mean, you know, and it made me quite sad as well. Oh, uh, but, <laughs> did you I finish did. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I was, when I was at that Taskmaster party, Alex Horn said that he dread it. And I think I was trying to hang up my coat while talking to him. <laughs> and I went so red all over. Because Alex Horn is so pure. And I don't <laughs> want him to read things that are dirty. Yeah. Alex Horn is a virgin, even though he has three children. <laughs> and he said to me, I really enjoyed your book. I certainly know a lot about you. Uh, <laughs> great. No, wait. He said... I certainly know a lot more about you. And see, I've got insomnia just now, and as I go to sleep at night, that just plays echoing in my head. I certainly know a lot more about you. And I just... And it torments me. What must he be thinking? There's things in that he wouldn't even... It's like that thing, if a, if a lion could talk, would we understand it? <laughs> I feel when I give some people my book like I fucking did the um, I did off menu right uh, and I love Ed and James they're so nice, they've always been kind to me but I told them, they were like oh can you tell us about a, a funny thing from your book and I was like oh I worked in a strip club where a guy with a brain injury and a guy with Down syndrome would walk around shouting at us <laughs> Ed looked like he was going to pass out <laughs> I'm not, I can't, I don't, how can, I don't know how I sugarcoat it. Here's a food-related memory. There was one girl told me, there was a girl, said, uh, this other stripper I knew, she said, um, I met her years after I did it, and I said, oh, did you ever work in the Edinburgh clubs? And she was like, yeah, yeah, there was this wee guy with Down syndrome. And I went, Ben! <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, yeah, I did a lap dance for him. And I was like, no way. I didn't think he ever got dances. And she went, at the end of it, he paid me with half a melted Twix. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> Good. Well, it's, it's, very, it's very real. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. Um, you've, you know, it's great that you found... That, you found comedy, or comedy found you, and uh, mm. and you know that's you, you immediately st- stood out, and and everyone said this about you straight away because did they? I think so because you no. you know you but you because you, it's great to see someone doing something different. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of comedians doing similar things. There's a lot of very similar people trying to be comedians. I think it's better to say. So mm. it's just you know it's it's hearing different voices in the part when stand when I started doing stand up. It was kind of weird being a university. Ed. Not, it wasn't unique, but there were there was people from all kinds of backgrounds, and and that's what I loved about it. You'd go in, and I'd be, you know, you go to a festival in Australia, and you'd be sitting there, somebody worked on the docks, and somebody used to be an accountant, and it would be, you know, this kind of crazy mismatch of people who all still somehow gelled and got on with each other. Mm. Um, and you know, and I don't think that's, I mean, partly because of the the way things are going. I was, you know, talking about the the fringe becoming so expensive it's difficult for people to go there that was a place you could meet lots of different people in the past which i think is not the case now and i think this book has important things to say about about that and about about the way that your experience doesn't lock in with with many of the people with a lot of the people who are in charge of deciding what goes onto tv or what goes on to well yeah that was the other thing i was going to say because i came to watch the episode you were doing before and i caught you saying that you had a terrible time uh, when you were in the oxford review yeah 
Um, so did you find... I, I wasn't sure if you were um, posh or not, but you, did you not enjoy... <laughs> and you weren't, like, posh, posh, but you didn't enjoy Oxford Uni. Well, I was, you know, I went to comprehensive school. I'm not, like... Yeah. I'm not, I'm, you know, my parents are teachers, and, yeah, you know, yeah. so they're not... We, I, it's, and they were the first posh people I met when I went to university. But weirdly, actually, nearly everyone in the Oxford View was all from comprehensive schools. But oh, then, we right. went to, then we went to Edinburgh and everyone attacked us for being posh. So it's sort of like a weird, oh. you know, understandable, but it was a, it was a very uh, unpleasant experience. But I found that difficult going to university, you know, but it's, the, it's what you talk about, like talking about going to Edinburgh University, which for you was this amazing triumph. And then I was were, so excited. And then people coming who, you know, went to public schools and they were upset because this was their sort of second or third choice oh, God, of the university. Yeah, when I got into Edinburgh, that was like my first choice. I only picked Edinburgh and St Andrews. And then um, I got to Edinburgh and everyone was like, referring to us as uh, Cambridge rejects. So people's, like, posh people's worst nightmare was my <laughs> highest achievement. Yeah. And um, I got called a commoner in, in the queue into Freshers' Week. So that was, like, the first moment it hit me at uni where... Because I thought everyone at uni was going to be like, isn't learning great? Isn't it wonderful that we're all reading books together? And then uh, I realised that everyone was just going to look at me like I'd crawled out a cave on all fours. Yeah. It was absolutely horrendous. Like, I didn't really have friends there. And, um, I mean, I did have... When I quit stripping for my final year, um, I did try being a normal Edinburgh Uni student, and I talk about that in the book. But you'd go to their parties, and it was like something out of fucking Harry Potter. Like, (laughs) basically, posh people don't trust themselves to have fun unless it's carefully structured, like, themed parties. So... I went to a party where everyone was getting a muesli box and tearing pieces off of it, and then they'd play music, and they'd, like, bounce up and down and try and pick it up with their teeth. That was the party. (laughs) Uh, Like, we were 22. (laughs) It was so dreadful. And then in the the morning, I remember waking up at this awful party, and someone was like, Toby and Henry are going bird watching. And I was like, I really miss the strip clubs right now. They <laughs> take me back. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. So, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a disconnect. It's a, and it's sort of mm. weird if people, the people in charge don't understand that life and don't want to, you know, I, I want to read about different people's lives. I want to see on TV things that, that are not my experience. Sorry, I interrupted. Uh, But just to agree with you, uh, yeah, like uh, something I've been thinking recently is how mad it is that the TV show I made, Destroy You, is the first time I've felt like I've seen the London that I live in represented. Um, There's because there's just so much stuff that gets made that's by um, the same tiny group of people. So I was really excited when the BBC started making. Shows like I May Destroy You. I was like, how did this even get... Yeah, I think it's great. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And, and let's talk about tassels, because, it's, again, oh, it's, yeah, interesting, yeah. it's interesting in the book you talk about the fact that, you know, you didn't always gel with other panel shows, which I can, again, can understand because, you know, they want you to be a certain thing that you mm. weren't able to be or didn't want to be and weren't. Uh, but I think, again, Taskmaster was you finding the, your, your place on TV oh. at the moment, I think, wasn't it? I couldn't believe how good it was. <laughs> I was... Um, I had a notion it was going to be decent because a couple of my friends had done it and it seemed to change things for them. But I knew going in that if I tried to overthink it and second-guess myself, it was going to be shit. Uh, but my agent was... Uh, this is the weird thing. Um, my agent was like, you have to try and win this because you'll get more money if you get through to champion of champions. <laughs> so I was really trying my very hardest all the way through. So then when... I don't know how many of you have seen it. Was it things like that where I was on the travelator? Uh, oh... <laughs> Okay, so when we were filming that in the studio, when we were filming that at Gatwick, I remember thinking, why is everyone looking at me and why are the security guards looking at me? And I thought, it's probably because I look sexy in my costume. (laughs) (laughs) And then Andy, the the nice director guy, he was like, "Um, do you want to maybe try that again? Uh, And it looked like, again, because I'm not great at reading facial expressions, people had a bit of a smile on their faces... And I thought, well, the crew's just friendly. They're just smiling at me. <laughs> then they came to playing it in the studio. They played Sarah's. I thought, that's rubbish. Uh, they played Dara's. I was like, um, John's, Munya's. And I thought, they're saving mine because it's the best one. And I've won. And then they played it, and I was so bad. I thought, for years... You've been getting angry thinking people think you're stupid because you're working class. People think you're stupid because you're stupid. (laughs) That's why. You look stupid. You sound stupid. You can see it on the telly. It was so... I felt like I was having a breakdown when I watched that. 
they had to cut out. I was like crying, laughing when they yeah. showed me it because I was so shocked. <laughs> oh, it was so good. And I'll never get to do Taskmaster again. There's not going to be anything like it again. Yeah, but you'll get other work, whereas I've won Taskmaster and no one's interested in me. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> so you've got to be, you know, you're, the, the beauty of it, the beauty of it is you can't, you can't try and be funny. Mm. You are, but you, but some people come out of it in the same way. You've been nominated for a British Comedy Award. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know. This... But that was because, yeah, they nominated, they long-listed me, and then I kept asking people to vote, and I said, <laughs> if you don't vote, I'm going to blow up Channel 4. See? <laughs> Your fault. Your fault I'm not nominated. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, that, that is, it's great, you know, it's, that's, that's great that they've recognised that to put, to put you on the long list anyway. But, it, you know, you, and you had some fantastic things when you were, uh, when you painted with the... Sausage. That was. Oh, that yeah. was. Everyone gets. I think with Tasmanian, everyone, everyone, everyone really gets like. With everyone that, gets something where they go. That was incredible. That was incredible. I mean, I'm terrible at the art art ones anyway. See, but... I, I already know that I'm good at drawing, yeah. so it wasn't not with a sausage on a toilet seat, though. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I, I was drawing my own face, and yeah. I'm all right at that. That's what okay. I'm like more practiced at. Because um, because we had to draw self portraits in the mental unit. That's also in the book. <laughs> So when someone goes, will you paint on a toilet seat with a raw sausage? You're like, oh, this is just like my school day. <laughs> it's therapeutic. So, um, I, see, I thought my singing task was the best, yeah, but no one says that. that um, but in my mind, it was a lot more operatic and amazing, and then I saw the footage and it was quite one note. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought the team tasks were pretty interesting because I... <laughs> the betrayal of John Cairns. Yeah. So um, yeah, the team tasks were really cool, but I could also see how uh, more, how much more reticent I am when I'm in a group. Okay, and that, yeah. that was when I thought you're you're never gonna fit in on a panel show because I just get so shy. Whereas when it was just me and one other person, like me and Alex, it was yeah. just easy. I could have done tasks all day, every day. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is an, an, an unimaginable amount of fun to do. I think that's the, and it's very easy to just get mm. caught up in doing it and forget it's a TV show and not not worry about how you're going to come across or you know whether you're entertaining or not. But uh, yeah, it's, it, I think you know you it was you were so good on it. So it's you know and, and as nice. you say, it's been it's been a positive experience for you to. I mean, in the book, you talk about not really telling the producers about the autism. You sort of no, say no, yeah, and the I mentioned this in the book. Um, I'd, I'd, I, it's tricky to like tell everyone you're autistic, especially in work situations. This is why I don't like comparing it to ADHD. I think ADHD is a few steps ahead of how accepted it is, whereas yeah. autism still seems to have this weird, sinister air around it. For example, a lot of people will say to me, uh, they'll describe me as openly autistic or say that I talk openly about autism, and it implies that I'm supposed to keep it quiet. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to tell the producers before we started, but I thought, if they don't understand anything about autism, it's not going to do me any favours. But then inadvertently, the whole programme was set up so that an autistic person can do well on it. And a lot of autistic people watched Taskmaster. That yeah. was why, like, I couldn't believe how fortunate it was that I had a book coming out right after Taskmaster, because <laughs> that wasn't meant to be what was happening. But I just noticed, like... Just from, if you ever go on the Reddit Taskmaster, yeah. um, I, I can tell that there's autistic people on there from how caught up they get in details. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's not an insult, because I am autistic. I just could tell. I think, I think this whole audience might be autistic. <laughs> if, if that helps you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was, yeah, I was really excited that I was going to be reaching more autistic people. Because yeah. then, when Taskmaster was going out, every week I would just tweet, like, here's the episode. And then autistic people would be like, oh, I can see your hypermobile ankle moving strangely on set. <laughs> you might want to get checked for hypermobility. Many of us autistics have it. <laughs> People would just send me messages saying, you speak like I do and you move the same way as I do. So it was really cool for people to be able to see themselves on screen. Yeah. Because when I got diagnosed, I felt really like depressed about it and I didn't, it didn't feel good like I thought it would feel. And I just thought, oh people aren't going to like me anymore and they're going to think I'm stupid and stuff. Um, but all it took was for me to see more people being autistic on TV to feel better about it. Yeah. That was the main thing that helped. It is, and, and, you know, you're, you're a young woman and your childhood, no-one understood this or, 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 or got it at the time. Mm. Or, you know, so it's, it's incredible how relatively recently, you know... I mean, a lot of the stories you tell about the people looking after you at the, in the various schools and units, with, mm. you know, they're, not, they're not great teachers. And, no. they're, and they're people like, you know, you're, you feel the compunction to, for example, co- correct the pronunciation of a pastor and then the teachers are done having Yeah, so when I was in the mental unit, they, they banned me from group therapy because they thought I was, di- like, disruptive and stuff. Yeah. Um, and they thought that I was, like, a bad influence because I would... Uh, if people... One of the staff pronounced um, Tagliatelle wrong and I was studying Italian at the time, so I schooled her on it. Now, if someone who's in charge of a teenager has a teenager talking to them like they're on the same level, yeah. they're going to take that really badly. But that's an autistic thing. You don't... I, I don't care about status or hierarchies, which is also why I hate the royals. So you just... <laughs> you just... You end up addressing people in a way that people get offended at. It's, it's like, and that gets in the way of when you go and get diagnosed, because you go and get diagnosed. And doctors, whether they acknowledge it or not, I feel like a lot of doctors want to be addressed in a certain way, um, because they've went to uni for years and years, and they've done all this training, yeah. always been the best. So if you go in and you address a doctor like your peers, they're going to think you're an arsehole, especially if you've got my accent and my odd mannerisms. So actually, being autistic often gets in the way of you being diagnosed autistic, especially if you're a woman. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that, that's, that's bad. So I think uh, this book can ho- only help people, I think, mm? spot these things early. Because if, if, if it had been... If, you'd, if you, as a child you'd been diagnosed, that would surely have made a, a big difference, wouldn't it? Yeah, I've sort of wondered at what point I wish I'd got diagnosed. Like, I definitely wouldn't have left it till my 30s. But I think my mum had an inkling something was up, but back then you wanted to avoid getting your kid diagnosed um, because there was a stigma around it. And my parents were already insanely overprotective, so I think if I'd got diagnosed younger, it it might have been worse. Okay. Uh, I don't know. It's so hard to say. (laughs) But I just... I basically... When I was writing the book, I kept thinking about what audiences do I want it to reach other than autistic people. And I just followed the rule of what do I wish I could have read when I was 21 um, and tried to write accordingly. And I also just wrote for the people that come to my stand-up shows because 
I've got a feel for the type of people that come to my shows now, so I wrote it for them sure. too. That's good. <laughs> and you're on tour at the moment. Oh yeah, the it tour starts like a... tomorrow, but uh, it's sold out. Yeah, I saw it. So I'm not much... promoting that. Okay. <laughs> 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 I think there might be some tickets left for the, uh, for the last couple of dates. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much sold out when I looked what, at it today. Uh, I think what, there's there's London and Dublin, and maybe you've got an extra show in Glasgow, have you? That's my. There's some... no, there's one show in Glasgow. I'm sure that's sold out. Okay. There's one at Hackney Empire, which they would release more tickets for at the time, and then there's one at uh, Vicker Street in Dublin, and okay. that that's definitely not sold out. <laughs> so please come to that. Come to that <laughs> Dublin. It's, it's fantastic. It's. Uh, uh, autistic bikini queen. Yeah, yeah, but none of that shows about autism. It's just, it's mainly about marriage and death. Okay. <laughs> well, I saw you doing a, a routine about uh, only wanting a civil partnership to avoid. When did you see me? I saw you on the Russell Howard. Show. Oh, I did, yeah, I didn't enjoy that recording though. Oh, yeah, very good. Thanks, but it wasn't like my best one of it. Yeah, I've, I don't know why people get married, and I've been asking my boyfriend again and again and again why people get married, because it helps me write the show. Um, but I was going to get a civil partnership. It's been on my to-do list, <laughs> because this is really romantic. Apparently, if he dies, it's a pain in the arse to sort out the direct debits for the bills <laughs> if we're not married. So I was filling out this form for the civil partnership and I was, I was feeling a bit romantic and then I got to the final page and it wanted like 70 quid off me and my debit card was upstairs so I just slammed the laptop <laughs> shut. <laughs> this can wait for another year. Um, yeah. Well, how come you're married? How come I'm married? It's a good question. <laughs> I mean, what, I mean, it's it's taken me 10 years of marriage to ask that question. My wife is in the audience tonight. So oh. have to, we'll, have to, we'll have to speak carefully. Uh, no, because I fell very deeply in love with a wonderful woman. I'm deeply in love. You are deeply in love. I'd say in the last year we're more in love than ever before. Well, your partner um, sounds amazing in the book, I think, as well. Oh, say. yeah, people have been saying, yeah. oh, he seems really nice. I'm like, of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like to talk too much about that on stage because I think... Uh, it's really disgusting when people talk openly <laughs> about their profound love. Yes, I it is. I find it vulgar. It is, it is vulgar. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, it should be private. <laughs> what I want is for people to think I'm not really that fussed about my boyfriend at all, and then when he dies, for them, me to just be the <laughs> start singing at the funeral or something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be so devastated it gets covered in the newspapers or something. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I think it's, again, it's a good question to ask. I think a lot of people do get married without thinking about it. Mm. I thought about it for 40 years. Uh, oh. Well, I do. I got married actually when I was 46 or something, wasn't I? 40, no, 45 must have been. Mm. So it took me a long time to make that decision. Um, but, uh, yeah, good question. Why couldn't you ask me 10 years ago? <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I think I'm like uh, similar to Doug Stanhope in that I just don't want the state involved in any way. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. that's that is that is also true. I mean, I think um, you know, it, it's it's been very good for me, but I understand some people's marriages it's, don't it, go it, so well. It's good. It's good for men, but I don't think it's got any benefits for women. Oh. Um, but yeah, isn't it meant to be good for men? Getting this D every night's pretty a pretty good benefit. <laughs> I just took in what you said. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, 
<laughs> are, you, are you happy, Katie? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> it's going all right, isn't it? We have our moments. Um, let's ask some emergency questions. I've left my emergency question book backstage, but I can ask you some emergency questions. Oh. I'm going to ask you about if you uh, were, could go into a pupa like a bat, uh, like a caterpillar. You know, a caterpillar goes into a chrysalis. Oh, pu- and pu- pu- pupa. <laughs> and turns into a butterfly. You're going to go into a chrysalis and you can come out as anything you want to be. What would you like to come out of the chrysalis as? Uh, a robin. A robin. A robin. Yeah. Wow. What, is there any reason? I don't really well, want Well, I just thought of it because I was at the book warehouse today. Yeah. I, I don't know if any of you know that robins are your dead relatives that have come to visit you at important I times. Did not, I did not know that, no. This is such... <laughs> you're honestly such a godless country down here, are they? <laughs> Of course it is! <laughs> so, I was in the book warehouse signing all the books and then the guy, the factory guy went, oh, a robin. And uh, I turned around and my dead grand was watching me and she was saying, like, I'm proud of you. <laughs> How were you able to identify out of all your dead relatives that it was your well, grand? Well, what I like to think is <laughs> that it was my gran and my granddaughter in the same robin's oh, the same body Fuck, that's watching a- me. I don't want to be trapped in a robin with my with Katie, wa- with my, with Katie for all eternity after I'm dead. You wouldn't be the size you are now. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was very tiny. I thought I could fit inside a robin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what? I'd be a robin, but they yeah. only live 18 months. They live 18 months? Yeah. But then presumably yeah, when they die, they become another robin. <laughs> back to becoming a granny. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting. It's very interesting. Have you had anything uh, named after you, Fern, in your life? And would you like anything named after you? Just today, yeah. before I came here, someone messaged on Instagram to say, I just met a baby named after you. <laughs> what you should know. Yeah. Is it called Fern Brady? Is that his name or just Fern? <laughs> Fern Brady, the baby. <laughs> yeah, so there's a baby. That, that's the lot. Um, we, what happened with you? We're doing a podcast. Is that podcast still going? The Wheel of With Mystery? Alison. Yeah, with Alison. No, I left and I was replaced by Kerry Katona. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that, well, that was weird. So, um, yeah, I, was, I started a podcast with my best friend during lockdown and we just recorded it from, like, cupboards in our bedrooms. Yeah. Uh, we just did it so we had some work, but then it got um, quite popular. Okay. Uh, we Love Misfortune, it's called, and it was just us telling really silly stories about, like, pooing ourselves or just making a fool of ourselves. Um, so many doctors listened to that, <laughs> which is mad because you think of doctors as, like, brainy, and we were doing the dumbest podcast ever. So that was also why I wrote the book, because I was like, if I can write a book that has, like, silly, mad stuff in it and sneaks in things about autism, then doctors learn about it when they're off duty. True. Maybe listen to the audio book when they're falling asleep after a 20-hour <laughs> shift. That way I can teach them about autism yeah. unofficially. Uh, yeah, anyway, I left the podcast because I was busy doing Taskmaster okay, and the book yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Not because I fell out with Alison, but pe- some people thought that. Well, you do thank her in the book. I thought it was probably okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. mentioned in the book that you had to, that you, did a po- you had to stop doing your podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought that was the case. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. so tired. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so. oh! Oh! 
It's like I can never say it again. It's I, like, yeah, it's so weird. To, did you have a catchphrase in Taskmaster that they, like, plucked no, from thin air? No, I think, I think uh, just that doesn't look like a hippo, I think. It's probably... <laughs> I don't think I don't think I did have a cat. Oh, well, I, it was me. It was me wanking behind a bush. That's it. But luck, I've, I kind oh, of thought lovely. I kind of thought that I'm gonna for the rest of my life there's gonna be people wanking as I'm walking down the street with my sons. I'm like, hey, Rich. Hey. <laughs> uh, but no, luckily, luckily, it's, it's, it hasn't impacted on my life at all. So that's fine. Um, Oh, that's that. Well, the, yeah, that, that, the, I, li- I like the bit. Uh, talking of the honesty, I like when you worked in uh, Boots. And you had oh, a yeah. you had a badge saying, "Ask me about the new number seven mascara." Yeah, I worked in Boots in Bathgate when I was um, sixteen, and it was one of the worst jobs I've ever had because they didn't understand that I would. A lot of being autistic is someone saying, "Do this," and then when you do the thing and don't follow all the unspoken rules, they're like, "No, not like that." So when I worked in Boots, I had to wear a badge that said, ask me about the new number seven mascara. And then people would ask me and I would go, it's terrible. (laughs) You really should buy Benefit mascara or L'Oreal. And then my boss was like, why are you doing that? You're you're supposed to say it's the best. And it's like, well, you didn't print that on a badge for me. Um, So yeah, things like that would always happen. Or we had to dress up for Christmas one year and all the other women came in wearing like tiny little fairy wings and I came in with these like fucking Angel Gabriel wings spanning my back. I don't even know where I'd got them from but I'm also a lot taller than most Scottish women so all day I was just like (laughs) knocking the stock over with like my five foot Wingspan. <laughs> it was, I mean, it's just so much of the book is just things. Like if you ever feel like you're an alien and you're trying to return to your home planet, that's just the general feel of the book. Yeah. Well, it's, that's a very good explanation of it, and it's but, but mm. then equally an, an alien from another planet, which it, it, it sort of all comedians are a little bit, you know, are yeah, able to sort yeah. of step outside of society and and comment on it. And so you're, mm-hmm. you've sort of got... Yours is m- maybe more inbuilt than most people's. But yeah. most, I think most comedians have that feeling of being an outsider. I think a lot of people have that feeling of being an outsider regardless of, of yeah, what's yeah. going on. Uh, and so I think that, that... But that's why this is so appealing, because that kind of... Honest, you know, that, it is that sort of thing of going, well, why do, we do, why do people wear a badge saying, ask me about this? Because obviously they're just going to say it's good. So then it's funny if someone doesn't say it's good. <laughs> Ask me, yeah, it's, I've got another batch. Ask me about the condoms; they don't work. <laughs> um, it's uh, no, it's all cool. Uh, look, look, fun. I'm, I'm sure the book's going to be a huge success. If you've, if they've made you sign, sign four thousand of them, then you're doing pretty well already. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry you got so tired doing that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and best of luck with the tour. Uh, are you going to do the? You're going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2023. Richard Herring's not there. It's a boycott. Do you want to join the boycott? I. So I said that I was going to do it the other week and then I backtracked on it a week okay. later because I just thought, if I want to do previews, I'll just do a load of them in London. Yeah. Um, so probably not. Yeah, that's two of us in the boycott. I am boycotting the Edinburgh Fringe. boycotting it. <laughs> not staying at home because it makes us feel sad. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive round of applause. the incredible for Brady! <laughs> Thank you very much. See you next time. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and me, Fern Brady. 
Thank you to Scant Regard, who do the music in this show. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Thank you also to Chris Evans, not that one, and Ben Evans, not that one. And thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for having us, and George the Incompetent Sandman, and all of the crew. They're all very nice. Uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuss and GoFastTheStrike.com production. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture, and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm travelling around Europe, following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening to my podcasts. Listen to some more. Tell your friends about these podcasts. We're in a very competitive market. It would be lovely to keep those downloads coming in. The more downloads we get, the more money we make and the more podcasts we can make for you. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Come and see me on tour at richardherring.com. But otherwise, just, you know, go outside. Enjoy the spring air. It's beautiful out there. I love you all. Goodbye.